Wonderful. Well, the times are changing and the seasons are changing, and I want to encourage us as a church to um, start envisioning, like, post-now stuff, and then just start acting like it's already here. Not disobeying stuff or whatever, but it's, it's happening, okay? We're, we're coming out of stuff. I believe this is going to happen, and so it's, we can start getting excited. As far as I'm concerned right now, it's December 5th, spiritually. You know what I'm talking about? It's December 5th, as far as I'm concerned, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with being really excited for Christmas morning, so to speak. And so uh, this morning I want to really, 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 really pull back on what's going on in the universe and help us to see God's intentions and his mission in the world and then for us to help find ourselves in what God is doing in the universe so that we can have hope and fresh power and fresh grace and fresh anointing and fresh humility, 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 humility. Which one of those things I just listed is, do I think is the most important one? Thank you. Gold star. You get a cookie after class. It may turn out to be a granola bar. But really, I want to talk about the fact that we as a church have a huge part in God's big show. And we're going to read from the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to go off for a bit. These are the very words of God. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing about God's great mission in all of creation, in the universe, in all of human history. And he says this, When you read this, because he's written them a letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, so what's the big surprise? What's the big thing that people didn't know about for thousands of years? What's the big mystery of Christ? The big mystery is this, that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, are fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I, Paul, he was saying, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here comes the bold underlined big plan of God in the universe so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is what God is doing in human history. The big show of the whole universe is Jesus dunking on the demons by uniting the ununitable. I really like that picture. I don't know who those people are, so don't, like, you don't get all like, that guy's no good, okay? Just... Pulling back, almost as far as you can pull back, what is God doing in the world? God's mission is to display his manifold wisdom through the church 
in Christ Jesus and to make it known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He wants to demonstrate through Christ that the foolishness of the gospel and the humiliation of the cross and the uninspiring people of the church mixed together with the power of God is going to destroy the works of the devil and humiliate all his forces forever. The whole point of human history is for Jesus to dunk on the forces of darkness. And our part is to be the ball. I seem to have stalled this thing. And then in a second, it's all going to catch up. I'm going to take it as a sign from the Lord that I'm supposed to talk about this a bit more. Let's pull back a sec, and I'm going to remind us of a few things. Number one, there is such a thing as spiritual realities. And the spiritual realities came first. Before there was anything else, there was God. And though we don't know exactly when he did it, Scripture seems to teach us that even before he made people, he made the spiritual forces that we now call angels and demons. And the difference between them is that the angels love to be under authority and love God's commands and have never disobeyed him, even for a little bit, and the demons don't love God's authority and don't love his commands and at some point chose to disobey him and have been doing it ever since. And some of these dark spiritual forces are very strong and powerful and are referred to in scriptures as rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And what it appears like is that regions and areas and countries and nations sometimes are very heavily under the influence of spiritual forces that do not align themselves with the purposes of God. And these spiritual forces have strong convictions. And one of those strongest convictions we see in the book of Job, if you've ever read the beginning of it, it's this. Nobody actually worships God for himself. Do you remember the beginning of Job? We were welcomed into this heavenly throne room scene. Is it real? Is it a picture? I don't know. Real enough. And God starts to boast about Job and how righteous he is and how faithful he is. And Satan's response is this, does he worship you for nothing? But if you take away everything he has, he will curse you to your face. This is a demonic conviction. That there is nobody who would ever love God enough that their love would survive God taking away their blessing. Another demonic conviction is that division is much more powerful than unity and that no people under the onslaught of demonic accusation can actually stay united. But for any and every reason, we are suckers for division and worship the demonic forces by aligning ourselves with a power group against a less power group to prove that we're the people. Anybody seen anything like that in the last couple of years? Did I say years? I meant weeks. These are demonic convictions that nobody can actually love God from the heart to the point that they would be willing to suffer for him and 
Division is always more powerful than unity. And it only takes a little bit of accusation to prove it. And in the gospel, God has decided to prove his enemies wrong for all eternity. And he decided to do it through the Jews and the Gentiles. You may have caught it at the beginning there when you're reading where it says this mystery of what God is doing in Christ is that he gets to make Gentiles fellow heirs with the Jews. Excuse me. And we kind of need to unpack a little bit what's going on there. And what I want to just highlight this is that the Gentiles were the non-Jewish people, the pagan people, the people who don't know God, were most of our ancestors. And the Jews, underneath the sovereignty of God, were the most ununitable people groups possible. Okay? The Gentiles were far away from God and far away from the Jewish people because they were idol worshipers, they were pagans, they were sexually immoral, they were liars, they were cheats. And earlier in Ephesians, Paul describes the existence of Gentiles as being like this. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, excuse me, like the rest of mankind." And what he's unpacking there, he's like, this is normal being a Gentile. You're spiritually dead. You do everything Satan tells you to. You want to do everything the ungodly world wants you to. You'll go into any sin they tempt you with. You just want to fight and kill and destroy and divide. And by nature, God is completely angry at you. That's the Gentiles. On the other hand, you have the Jewish people who were picked out by God as descendants of Abraham and were given all of these cultural things to do in order to separate them from the Gentiles. In the book of Genesis, they were given circumcision, the removal of foreskin from the part of a male body that's responsible for having children, as a sign of saying, these people and their children forever belong to God. They're separate from all other people. And when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they had all their problems in the desert, they were given all kinds of purity laws to separate them from the people around them. Things you can and can't eat so that you can't have meals with the Gentiles. Certain sacrificial rules so that you can't worship with the Gentiles. Cleanliness rules about what you can touch and not touch so you're not living like the Gentiles. And the entire Jewish existence was meant to make them separate from the Gentiles as a people devoted to God. Now they failed in their faithfulness to it, but that was their existence. Separate from the Gentiles, completely devoted to God. And God had so arranged the universe so that these are two people groups that cannot be united. And then along comes Jesus. And declares everybody in need of the same salvation. Lives a perfect life on our behalf. Dies a sinner on our behalf. And gets raised from the dead as a new Adam. So that everybody who believes in him gets to start existence over again as a new people. A brand new race. Made up of everybody who believes in Jesus. And is now adopted into the family of God. 
And now these people, Gentiles and Jews, who have lived completely separately for generations and centuries, God says to them, you're one. And now the greatest division that has ever been in human history, a God-made division, is conquered in Jesus Christ. By people who now know that it is completely worth it to get God, even if it costs you everything. By people who love Jesus more than their own lives and are now willing to bridge these gaps, these huge cultural gaps, these huge religious gaps, because they've already been made one in Jesus Christ. And that is how God dunked on the rulers and authorities in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're the ball. We're the church. We're so many different kinds of people and so many different people over and over again called to prove our oneness in Christ by the power of the Spirit and by the shed blood of Jesus. That's the big show. That's why everything is. It's to take every kind of difference that God has made amongst people and unite them in a people who believe in Jesus and are dead to the divisions and are alive to the unity in Jesus Christ. Under his word. That's the big show. That's the big power slam. That's the you're on fire, triple forward flip, NBA jam dunk. Amen? That's God's big show. That's the point. That's the point of missions. It's the point of evangelism. It's the point of teaching. It's the point of pastoring. It's the point of prophecy. It's the point of Sunday morning gatherings. It's the point of Christian families. It's the point of Christian education. It's the point of problems. And it's the point of solutions. To prove that God has power and worth enough to create a people who overcomes every kind of separation. We're in the big show. And we're the ball. Now I believe, and I think I could argue it pretty purposefully, that we're meant to understand that this uniting of these ununitable people groups in Christ is meant to give us a different way of looking at every kind of division. The division between man and woman, what is that about? Our culture thinks it's constantly about power struggles and who's a victim and who needs to suffer and who needs to blah, blah, blah. No, it's about God uniting the ununitable through the shed blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, by creating a humble people who love Jesus more than their own lives and see unification as the whole point of the big show. What about parents and children? The great divide of respect and disrespect and care and lack of care and success and failure and generation gaps and not understanding and not being able to speak to each other. 
Is that the whole point? No, the point of the difference between being a parent and a child is about the big show. It's about a people who realize that the whole point of existence is proving Jesus' worth by overcoming every kind of separation with the unity that's provided by the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. What about the differences between leaders and the led and masters and slaves and leaders and followers? Those are divisions. Is it about power struggles? Is it about inequality? Is it about making laws to take away from the haves and give it to the have-nots? No. It's about the big show. It's about taking leaders and making them self-sacrificial servant leaders and taking followers and making them see that being a follower means being just like Jesus and understanding that God's purpose between every kind of division is showing that Jesus Christ is worth embracing it and overcoming it by the power of the shed blood and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What about the difference between the rich and the poor? You're the rich, by the way. Is there any of your friends in Rwanda who don't think we're the rich? And maybe? No? It's James telling us, you poor rich people, I hope you can still make it to heaven. And you blessed poor people, God's going to give you great faith. And don't you realize that you all suck? And you're all toast. Apart from the shed blood of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So use what you've got for the good of your neighbor. What about all the racial problems? If he can unite the Gentiles and the Jews by convincing them that they're all lost without the glorious Lord Jesus being their Savior and his shed blood meeting all their needs and uniting us in the greatest kind of equality there is, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God, if he can do it for them, he can do it for anybody. If we would believe that we're a part of the big show, and this is the goal of the universe, you know I'm going to go there, right? What if we believed that the point of our lives under God is that he's going to allow repeated opportunities for division in the church so that we can conquer them with Bible-based, Holy Spirit-filled, shed blood of Jesus, believing humility and love, and overcome it to prove the great worth of Christ and his cross and his resurrection, and thereby join in humiliating the forces of darkness that want to kill and rape and destroy all of humanity, and joining God by being the ball as Jesus dunks on the demons in our generation. Masks are fine. And they'll absolutely be used by the demons to split the church apart if we let it. Or... We can go, hooray, there's a division. Pick me up, Jesus. I would like to be a tomahawk jam with your shorts making contact to the head of some kind of principality or power as you go do a three 
point from the line dunk. It's only a problem when the mass becomes a source of righteousness, worn or unworn, more powerful than the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ. What about vaxxed or unvaxxed, which is so bad because so many of the people who have questions about the vaccine love every other vaccine. Got my tetanus shot a couple months ago. It's not usually the issue. And it doesn't have to be an issue. If you believe that the blood of Jesus Christ's covenant going into you as you drink from his cup has eternal power to liberate people from sin and death and to empower them again for his spirit-filled life of grace in unity and service to the church and is much more powerful than anything that can go in you by a needle. Use me to dunk on the demons. But it's not me. It's got to be us. It's only us. And it's not even these things. Any good thing can become a source of division. It was just an apple hanging from a tree in paradise. Or whatever kind of fruit it was. It was just some fruit on a tree in paradise. But when Satan showed up, Eve and then Adam decided that life was not worth living without this thing. This one restriction made life not worth living and God not worth having. And so they took it. And we exist to prove that life is nothing without Jesus. And that we can go through anything for Jesus. But it's got to be together. Or else the whole point of the cross is lost. To prove that the ununitable can be united in Jesus. So, how can we do our part in the big show? It was so good that we had communion today. It was a setup. Just a big setup. It's a trap. You should know when you come to Calvary, it's a trap. We took all these little cups, which is fine. You get the wafer, which I believe is food. I'm told that it's actually food. And then there's juice in there. Which is fine, it's just, it's just, this is life right now. But the symbolism is wrong because Christianity is not a bunch of people slurping half a mouthful of a little cup by themselves. We're supposed to gather around one cup, like they did at Jesus' Last Supper, where he handed his cup around to emphasize the oneness. There's only one co- covenant of Jesus' one cup of his blood. Now, If we had had one cup, and this is a covenant for the forgiveness of sins. You come to drink this when you know you need to be forgiven for sinning. This is how it unites people. Um, Greg, can I borrow you for a sec? You come over here. 
And Taylor, can I bore you? You can come over here. I'm trying to pick people that this is, they're going to be comfortable with this. This is the one cup of the covenant. Amen? This is the covenant for sinners to come and have their sins forgiven. Greg, are you a sinner? Take one step forward. Taylor, are you a sinner? You take one step forward. Greg, did you get it wrong sometimes? You say no this time. No, so yeah, go ahead, take one step back. Oh. Taylor, do you get it wrong sometimes? Yeah, you can take one step forward. We're going to get you here, Greg. Greg, do you realize that you actually do get it wrong sometimes and you just need Jesus? You can take three because you're really out there, four really close forwards. Taylor, are you willing to give your life to Jesus so that there is nothing that means anything next to him? Yeah, you can come closer to the covenant here. Greg, are you seeing with your eyes that Jesus is the treasure of the universe and is eternal life and you want him more than anything? Yeah, you can take a big step. Maybe there we go, two steps closer. Do you guys want to live with God forever? Yeah, you take a step closer. This is what the cup of the covenant is. It's the forgiveness of sins, proving that Jesus' blood is more precious than anything, and his lordship is the joy of your life, and you want to live with God forever. And when you believe these things, you are actually, what is the movement of people who believe this? They come together to drink from the one cup. Awesome. Thank you. You've done it. The cup is empty. The cup of communion teaches us that the unity that Jesus wants to build in his church is built on humility and admission of sin. If you don't need sin, you don't come to the cup. And if you don't come to the cup, you don't come together. So we do our part in working towards the unification that dunks on the enemy by confessing. We do our part by confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing. Confessing to our spouses, confessing to our children, confessing to our church, confessing to our leaders, confessing to our followers, confessing to our cities, confessing to our countries. We confess and we confess and we confess and this builds. Sorry, it doesn't build. It acknowledges the unity that Christ made by dying for our sins. We start to believe afresh, this is the sub-point number three, that humility works. Um, I think I'm on to something here. I haven't run this by the elders, but here we go. They can find out at the same time everybody else. So I'm not, this isn't a declaration, but I think I'm on to something here. If you're wondering why Calvary Church exists, you know, there's lots of churches in Steinbeck. Probably all of them better at doing something than we are. Amen? Except for sunlights in the, in the room. This is our best. Why do we exist? I have a sneaky suspicion that Calvary Church exists to prove that humility works. that when you want to get something done in the kingdom, that humility works. When you want things to get better, humility works. When you want things to change, humility works. 
When you want to get free, humility works. When you're hungry for power, humility works. I think that's our specific turn of the jewel that we're meant to show off in this city. Because lots of times we don't believe humility works. What works? Money works, right? Giftings works, sure. Smarts works. Becoming an expert. Power, influence, status, position. All these things that we tend to cause allergic reactions against, though we have broken even every single year. Hallelujah. I think we're here to prove that humility works for welcoming the kingdom of God. I could be wrong. See, there's the humility right there. I could be wrong. But I think if this is home for you, I want to encourage you to think about embracing the slogan, Humility Works. Thought number four. If we're going to be part of the big show and God is trying to do the impossible, like the impossible, the impossible, the impossible, in his sovereignty, letting a genocide happen in Rwanda amongst Christians who apparently valued their tribal affiliations more than the shed blood of Jesus, I could be wrong, and in the aftermath of all that, saying, okay, it's time to be one again, that's impossible. How is it even beginning to be, impossible, to be possible that this could happen? And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anything. I, I remember what, last time I was there, there with a friend who's been here before. We were at the Dove Hotel, and he looked and pointed out at over one of the hills you could see from the view, and he said, that's my village. That's where I'm from. And I got really excited. Wow, do you, do you ever go back there? Because he was kind of a bigwig. Do you ever go back there? He says, guys, just imagine saying the sentence. No, I never really go back there because all of my family members were murdered in the genocide. Like having a hundred relatives. Like you're a penner from Winkler, and there's a hundred penners there, and then Winkler killed all the penners. Do you ever go to Winkler? Well, all the people who killed my family are still there. But he says to me, some of their kids who didn't do it have asked me to come and help them with their church and I'm going to go see if I can help them out. That's impossible. Except unless somebody sees that Jesus is worth more than life itself and the shed blood of Jesus is capable of forgiving any sin and the power of the Spirit has power to do the impossible. And so that's why right after Paul talks about the big show, the mission to make known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places the wisdom of God in the church, these impossible people who shouldn't get along and often don't, united together in Jesus... He begins to pray, and he prays this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named with all their divisions and all their distinctions and all their disunity, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And that prayer that we need to know how much Jesus loves us and that prayer that we be able to believe he's able to do the impossible is so that we would be able to do the big show. That's what starts the prayer. Because we're going to need to know that God loves us in order to do this. And we're going to need to know that God can do things we can't even imagine in order to be used like this. Welcome to the big show. And God, I think in 2022, wants to start a shack attack. Amen? Amen? just like monstering over people. Everybody else is spud web. He's just stepping over top of them. This is the problem. Thank you when somebody's enjoying this. The problem is this. It doesn't always feel good for the ball. Right? For the ball to be like, jam! We're the ball. It's his show. We're the ball. But it's great to be in the show. The basketball is the unsung hero of every game. Am I right? Am I right? Suffers abuse, gets neglected and ignored, but nobody scores a point without it. Point number five, be a humble river heart. Jesus said, anyone or everyone, I'm sure it's the same in the Greek, who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I've been bugged as I've been talking about this a little bit. I've been bugged about this call for people to be river hearts. Because it, it's too easy in our culture to make that like some kind of status attainment. Where I'm, I have the Holy Spirit flowing out of my heart. I, look at how great I am. Amen? Can that happen? which is literally the opposite of having the Holy Spirit, to think you've attained something. The whole point of giving us the Holy Spirit is like that we can't do it. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Elon Musk. He's like a living cartoon character mixed together with a Bond villain, they say. You jam them together, but he, tur- he looks like he's one of the better billionaires in the planet right now. Anyhow, he's working on this thing called Neuralink, where it's working on a brain microchip interface so that you can think thoughts and make computers do stuff. And so far, they've managed to get a monkey play Pong. You know the old Pong gang with the paddles go up and down? So they've apparently managed to make a monkey play Pong just by thinking, which is so frightening. I don't even know what to do with myself. But the end goal is to help quadriplegics be able to like, communicate so that their thoughts can get turned into text messages. 
And I think the goal is if you can turn a thought into a text message, you can turn it into a message that can move a robot. And you can take a quadriplegic and you can like turn them into a cyborg. That, that would be a blessing for them. Scary for the military, but blessing for the quadriplegic. Everything goes wrong in this world until Christ returns. That's just how it works. But that is us. We are spiritual quadriplegics that by the infilling of the Holy Spirit have a neural network uplink to the power of Christ so that we're covered in his robotic armor, so that we have strength that we would not have without him and have wisdom that we wouldn't have without him and we have protection that we wouldn't have without him. We have a helmet, we have a belt, we have a righteous chest plate, we have shoes, we have a shield, we have a sword, and all of this stuff connected in unity with Jesus by the Holy Spirit so that we can do as the church what we couldn't do without him. But it all is a testimony that we are so helpless without him. So let's be humble, Holy Spirit-filled people. Let's let God do amazing things for us and think every single time, I could never do that. I'm so glad he did it. Amen? That's what I want. I, I sometimes feel like this works for me with preaching because you can come up to me 10 minutes after the message and you can say, remember that thing you said? And I won't remember it. I was really blessed when you said this. I don't remember saying that. It's like, as the words leave my mouth, they're erased from my memory. I never remember what encourages you guys. So I never feel good about a message. I mean, I enjoy it myself, but if you, you're the best preacher ever, you said the wisest thing ever, I didn't say that. I don't have any memory of saying that thing. You probably got it online somewhere. Be blessed. I feel like God's just saving my soul by helping me not get proud. Do you know what pride is? It isn't actually a puffed up view of yourself. The heart of it is the inability to admit when you're wrong. That's what pride is. The inability to admit when you're wrong. That's why Christian humility is the admission that I am wrong. Or I have failed. I do sin. And then receiving everything God has given us in response to our failure. And pride is just the, I don't do wrong and I don't need help. And then you have to puff yourself up in order to convince yourself that that's true. Let's have humble hearts. And last, let's put our hope in the church again. Where was my woo from on that one? Yes. There is nothing right now more bashable than the church. There is nothing online more bashable than Christians' behaviors. I sometimes wonder why we get people saved. We treat them so much better when they're unbelievers. We give them so much more grace. We have such higher hopes for them before they come in the kingdom. Amen? And then as soon as you're in, Slamsville. Not good. Not a good deal. Esta no bueno. Let's if God's whole plan is to dunk on the devil with the church, then the church is the plan. The church is the plan. 
God doing his best here is the plan. Not that we're the church. This ain't no cult. This is not the capital C church. We are a local expression of God's global church. But his plan is to use the church. So let's start having hope for the church again. He's not coming back until the church does its job. And it doesn't just mean reaching other people groups. We also have to live together as these people groups. And prove that we can work together as these different people groups. Amen? That's the plan. That's the dunk. And we can do it. You 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 and the back row and you 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 you can do it you can love the church you can have faith for Christians you can want the best for your brothers and sisters amen you can love Jesus more than life itself because this is the plan. And all of God's unlimited power is focused in this direction. Amen. And he's going to do it. And we know he's going to do it because he gave us the Holy Spirit. That was the promise. If the Spirit comes, I'm going to do it. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. He's going to do it. Okay, we're going to get the band up here. I've got 10 seconds left. Make that 20. Oh, I'm over by 30 seconds. The band's coming up. Guys, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. Move your body. Raise your hands. Jesus is worth more than everything. He, whatever somebody might think of you isn't worth a two in a tornado. Jesus is worth everything. Give him your worship. Give him your praise. Stand up. Raise your hands. You can do it now. You can do it now. We are his church. We are the plan.